This is Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com with your hosts, Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup at Backheel.com. Mark Fishkin, Dan Dickinson tonight. Tonight on Seeing Red, we're going to talk to the goalkeeper of the New York Red Bulls, Luis Robles, who is up for MLS Save of the Week again. I think he's up every single week, or so it seems, Dan. Definitely feels like it. Yeah, and I don't know whether that speaks to Mr. Robles's amazing ability, which of course is not to be questioned, or the opportunities that other teams are getting on New York. It really doesn't matter because New York went into RFK Stadium, Raccoon Haven, and came out with a point coming back from two goals down in the second half. We're going to talk about that performance against D.C., give our bull and cow of the week. We have some returning players that are finally coming back to the squad after long injuries. We'll talk about the impact that might have on the starting lineup. We're going to preview Friday's match. Yes, folks, the Red Bulls actually play matches at home this season, and they have one Friday night at 7 o'clock on Unimas, but, of course, you'll be at Red Bull Arena to see the Red Bulls take on the San Jose Earthquakes. Um, it's a special night. We'll talk about that. We'll give our predictions. We'll talk about upcoming matches and U.S. Open Cups and old coaches and new places and Luis Robles and some voicemails and some emails. It's, it's an in-season, in-form episode of Seeing Red. And, Dan, when you think about 2-0-2 after four matches, one of the two... Uh, only two remaining unbeaten teams in MLS, I would say that the club is in form as it stands right now. Definitely, and it's a, it's a hottest start as I've seen in my time with the team. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people were expecting the, the unbeaten streak to end, especially after Perry Kitchen's second goal during that game, but credit to the team. They didn't put their heads down. They fought right back. They, Damian Parnell pulled back a goal almost immediately. And uh, whether you want to call it a mistake by Bill Hamid or a, a well-taken set piece and uh, some opportunistic play from Lloyd Sam, they, they managed to escape RFK's crumbling surroundings with a point. Yeah, it really was one of those late-game comebacks that really make you feel good. Red Bull's obviously overjoyed to be able to escape with a point and really take two points away from uh, conference leader D.C. United. New York had... The majority of the possession, yet again, with the, the up-tempo style that we've come to expect now four games in, D.C., all, DC frankly, did better than just about anybody else against um, New York's pressure, scoring a goal off, a, frankly, a, a missed assignment on a set piece. And you got to give some credit to Kitchen. He got really high, was completely all alone and buried the header, and then let off... You know, frankly, a terrific shot. I think in, in going back and looking at the second D.C. United goal, I think at one point it was almost a five-on-three for D.C. Um, go, coming down before Kitchen scored. He had loads of space, loads of time, and that's going to happen. Uh, it's not like Kitchen is a household name, but he certainly is uh, proven that he has a scoring ability. Overall, New York, 50 more passes than D.C., uh, more overall possession, more passing accuracy, uh, better in the final third. Crosses still are a work in progress for this team. And set pieces up until the last moment of the game were a bit. This was, this was a match where uh, you know, three of the four goals scored were off of set pieces. It was just kind of odd in that respect. 
Definitely. But, um, you know, Jesse was talking today in, in uh, practice about how they had calculated out, uh, what was it, something like 32% of goals in the league so far have come from set pieces. It's a, it's a set piece kind of year, and uh, whether it's corner kicks or free kicks or long throws, you know, everybody's uh, working on them. I guess Alexi Lalas's words of wisdom have finally rung through with everybody. And, you know, I, I think it's noteworthy that I mean, it's a it's an amazing shot from Kitchen, and obviously, if you give somebody enough time on the ball, they get the yes. opportunity to do something like that. But I believe that was the first run of play goal against the Red Bulls this season so far, because uh, all of the other three came off of corner kicks. Yeah, and of course, the story about Bill Hamid, and anytime you have a chance to make Bill Hamid uh, produce his Bill Hamid sad face, is uh, is a wonderful thing. Bill Hamid's given up four goals in five games. All four of the goals he's conceded are to the New York Red Bulls, which is a very strange stat. New York doesn't actually play D.C. again until much later in the season, which I think two times in the first four matches, I think that's totally fine for Red Bulls fans. I don't think they necessarily need to see D.C. Uh, for some time. But nevertheless, New York comes out of the match 2-0-2, still unbeaten, and now a three-game homestand San Jose on Friday, the following Sunday, home for the Los Angeles Galaxy, and then uh, the first Wednesday night match, home match of the season against Colorado uh, on April 29th before heading to New England, and then, of course, the first Hudson River derby against uh, Man City Light. So New York's definitely going to have some home cooking. They've, they've kind of had this trial by fire, and they find themselves at the top of everyone's power ranking list. And I don't know, you know, I think all Red Bulls fans have seen enough strife in their time following the team to understand exactly where we are in the season. But it's certainly nice, um, especially given expectation, to be, frankly, for, for a lot of media outlets, including the league's website, to say that no one is doing a better job than Jesse Marsh's squad. It's true, and I think, you know, there's this... There's this panic with the power rankings where it's either that the team is too low or too high. And at, at this point, I'm sure everybody's hitting the panic button that it's, oh, it's too high, it's too early, it's all going <laughs> to come crumbling down. And, you know, I, there, there's there's always the chance that things will get bad later. And, you know, with this team, it's certainly a high probability. But um, there's also nothing saying you can't enjoy the results for the time being. So, you know. Uh, I'm I'm very happy to see the team on top of the power rankings, and I think given the rest of the league, it's well-deserved. Absolutely. So New York, again, 2-2 draw at DC United, scoring the goal in injury time. Lloyd, Sam, let's go right into Bull and Cow. What, what do you think, my friend? Who's your Bull of the Week when you go in and, uh, you know, ruin everyone's happy smiles at RFK? You know, it's tough because I, I just watched the uh, condensed version of the game again before we started taping. Yep. And, you know, there were lots of good individual moments, but uh, nobody on the field really stood out to me. So in light of the month, I'm going to give it to Jesse Marsh. Um, Mm. You know, I think that the team being able to come back from two down um, and and pull a result out is is a testament to the style. I think that, you know, the fact that you said earlier uh, the high-tempo play we've come to expect – are words I don't think we've been said on this show in the past five years. So uh, I'm, I'm going to give it to Jesse. Yeah, I think that's I think that's terrific. Uh, I'm going to give mine to Lloyd, and I, I think it goes um, to a very opportunistic play we've seen plenty of times. Uh, speed kills and. Sasha certainly put put a fantastic ball uh, right, bounced right in front of uh, Hamid, who didn't 
handle it cleanly, and Lloyd was right there. It really a foot race past the DC defense to get to that ball and knock it in. So uh, on a night like that, where you you get a late dagger, uh, where a draw feels like a win, I'm going to give mine to Lloyd Sam and a cow of the night. It's tough, and again, I'm trying to not give it to uh, opposing players, so Hamid's out for me, but um, I, I'm going to give it to Chris Duvall, only because while rewatching the game, you know, there were a handful of tackles that were really borderline, and a number of them were in the box. And, uh, you know, I appreciate that he got away with them, but, uh, you know, I feel like this could easily turn into Penalty City again. But Yeah, I, uh, a lot of the DC players... I'll... <laughs> A lot of the D.C. players were very, very physical with the New York Red Bulls in the first half. And they were trying to send the message, right, which is you can't come in here and push us around. So uh, a lot of calls, it certainly could have been three or four yellow cards in the first half given to D.C. And uh, so I'm, I, I have no problem giving the cow to the other team, especially when you come back from two down on the road in the second half. You come down and score right after D.C. takes uh, takes a, a 2 nothing lead. Just about everyone, it, it would have been understandable for the team to hold their heads or drop their heads a little bit. And team pretty much came right down the field and scored on a, on a set piece. And Darian, uh, Damian Paranel, congratulations. Your first goal, your first MLS goal, your first goal in a Red Bulls uniform. Uh, Ashton Kutcher light, or Ashton Kutcher French version. So uh, DC's horrible... Uh, strategy of fouling hard in the first half. I'm going to give that to you. So all on the DC side tonight. So New York has been putting uh, uh, together, frankly, a makeshift back line. We've seen Matt Miazga play well. We've seen Kamar Lawrence play well. We've seen Anthony Wallace play well. And now you've got Roy Miller and Ronald Zubar seemingly ready to come back. We're going to certainly talk to Luis Robles about it during our interview segment about the challenges. And he is no stranger to shake up and challenges uh, in front of him in his defensive line. But nevertheless, here's a group that has been playing uh, well together and over the last three games. And now you're going to introduce players back in. What do you think the possible effect would be on this Red Bulls team uh, when we talk about Friday night's match? Um, You know, the, the constant shakeup of the back four over the past few years has been the source of, personal adjective for me because it, it tends to lead to worse communication and, and you know a back four has got a gel you've got to build that chemistry and if you can't that's what leads to leaky defense um, so I think Jesse's got an interesting question on his hands um, you know the I guess the other question mark is that Paranel missed practice today but he's expected to be available on Friday but you know those sort of mystery injuries that crop up you never know um, so I wouldn't be surprised to see Zubar work his way back in. Um, I I kind of feel like Kamar Lawrence has the spot locked down at this point. I don't know what Roy Miller can necessarily bring, um, especially against San Jose, thinking back to last year. Um, or was that two years ago? Um, well, yes. Yes, the, well. Uh, the famous Roy Miller meltdown, yes. Yes, uh, Miller time. Yes. Um, but, you know, I... I could probably see it being uh, Lawrence and Duvall on the, the outside backs and maybe Zubar and Paranel or Zubar and Miazga. Um, but we'll see. Um, it, it definitely can be a chemistry issue, though. 
Yeah, certainly. And so it was obviously great for Red Bull fans to see Zubar, who I think a lot of people feel is the heir apparent to Hamison Olave's position, coming back and playing. Yes, Paranel had a, had a day off today. Jesse said, no, it's just a sore foot. He's going to be back and ready to go for Friday. You also have to consider, uh, not this week, but next week, the club goes Sunday, Wednesday, which is the first time uh, they'll do that. They'll have a couple of those during the season where they have to play two games in four days. And so uh, the, the ability to have a number of informed defenders that you can kind of plug and play, I think is going to serve them incredibly well, especially if the team uh, feels a sense of confidence, which is about everybody. Remember, seven players have already played on the back line for New York in the first four games. So I think everyone can certainly look forward to uh, Zubar. And, le- and let's be perfectly honest, um, Zubar will have had a month to, to get better after his hamstring tweak and and the team hasn't lost without him. So and it's kind of funny, of course, talking about Ronald Zubar being the defensive savior of this team. Um, but nevertheless, I mean, the team has only led three goals, you know, four goals in four games, and and that's pretty good. And they're posting one shutout. So um, what else is going on? Oh, so uh, Friday night, and we'll we'll get to San Jose in just a minute. Friday night is a special night at Red Bull Arena. It's Autism Awareness Night. Um, there was a, 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 a very nice story. Uh, Marta Grandpre's daughter um, is dealing uh, on the autistic spectrum, and so the organization is te- teaming up with the main uh, autism. Uh, support and charity Autism Speaks to uh, launch Autism Awareness Night at Stadium. If you can go on the website, there's a a really lovely um, PDF deck that is meant for autistic children to explain to them everything that they're going to see at the game. There'll be special quiet zones in the arena, maybe down below, um, below the logo side, where children, if they're feeling things are a little too loud or a little too crazy, can go and just have some nice quiet time, but it's uh, obviously a wonderful, a wonderful charity to support. Um, and we urge you, if you do have people in your world um, that are uh, dealing with and dealing with autism on a regular basis, and young children that maybe haven't been to a match, this would be pretty cool to go to. There'll be a special section, as I said, in the, in the stadium. Things will be a little quieter for the PA announcements and things like that. So uh, fans, you can go to newyorkredbulls.com slash awareness. You can get special tickets by entering promo code AUTISM2015. And... Um, so there you go. It's going to be a special night at Red Bull Arena. Let's talk a little bit about the San Jose Earthquakes. The Earthquakes uh, were among the, the league doormats last year. The team has been buoyed, however, not only by the uh, first stadium, the first soccer-specific stadium just for the Earthquakes in their 40-year history, not just their 20-year history, going way back to the NASL days. Uh, and the team has responded. The team is 3-3 three and three for nine points. They've won three of their last five games. They're third in the West, third in MLS, tied for third, seven goals scored in five games, although they've only scored two in their last five matches. When you talk about the San Jose Earthquakes, you have to talk about uh, Chris Wondolowski, who will be an interesting decision for this match, given the fact that he is on Jurgen Klinsmann's roster for the U.S.-Mexico match Wednesday night in San uh, San Antonio. rather. Now, I, I don't really think when you think about Wando that he is the future of the U.S. men's national team. He 
could and by some accounts will get some minutes late in the game. So he, he shouldn't be too, too um, spelled when it comes to playing on Friday night in uh, Red Bull Arena, although he will obviously have the travel to deal with. Um, Five different players have scored San Jose's seven goals. Wando has three of them. Uh, Sana Nayasi uh, picked up one last week against Vancouver and, frankly, an atrocious game to watch. Ty Harden. Uh, Fataya Lash, who is a first-round draft pick out of Michigan State and a, a member of the U23 team that, frankly, could really be a factor in the Olympics in 2016 and Olympic qualifying has a goal. And then Innocent, who is the... Um, the Earthquakes Nigerian DP uh, had a goal in their first win at Avaya Stadium. Um, the lineup last week uh, against Vancouver, which was frankly a surprise result, beating Vancouver that had been playing so well. And this team, frankly, has a couple of surprise results. They won at Seattle 3-2 to two in the second week of the season, which I think definitely raised some eyebrows. And then a win against a Vancouver team who at the time was at the top of the league in the young season. Um, David Bingham's in the back. This, this club has Clarence Goodson, former U.S. men's national team. Former Metro draft pick Marvell Wynn has found his way after many years in Colorado to San Jose. Victor Bernardes, of course. Um, there is that Wando. Uh, Adam John, who dropped a couple on New York in the, in the famous Roy Miller meltdown a couple of years ago. They've got Shea Salinas, who's been in the league for seemingly a, a million years. And then, of course, Wando. Innocent uh, had a one-match suspension last week, so he set out the win against against Vancouver. But he had a terrific goal that I believe was goal of the week against Seattle uh, on March 14th. Um, just some brief history between the two clubs. Red Bulls have won only five, one of the last five matches between the two. And among current Red Bulls, only Dane, Dax, and Bradley have scored against San Jose among active players. They all have a single goal. San Jose's last win in New York was the November 4th, 2010 playoff win <laughs> when Bobby Convey, who would then show up uh, seeming bewildered at Red Bulls last year, uh, scored an early goal and knocked New York out after New York had won the Eastern Conference in 2010. New York last beat San Jose anywhere back in 2011, uh, a 3 nothing win, and since then the club has gone zero wins, one loss, and three draws. Last season's match between the two was a 1-1 draw July 19th in New York when Stephen Lenhart took advantage of a Matt Miazga error in the 85th minute to tie the game for San Jose. So this is a team that ha- hasn't scored a lot lately. Um... They've been shut out twice in five games, but they are surprising, and they are talented, and they are playing with, frankly, a bit of confidence. So I'm kind of curious what your thoughts on what we might see Friday night at 7 p.m., the first Friday night game in I don't know how long uh, at Red Bull Arena. Well, I think the the interesting question is not just Wando, um, but also that Adam John, I believe, is suspended because he picked up a red card in that Vancouver game. Ah, thank you very much for that. No problem. Yes. So it will probably innocent, be innocent up top, and I'm not sure who they're going to pair him with. Uh, we might see the hype train that is Tommy Thompson uh, emerge, yes. but yes. Um, that may be a little much. Um, but there haven't really been any other forwards just looking at the roster who have uh, been starting. So um, let's all remember that this is where Don Kinnear is now. Um, he's no longer with Houston. He's right. returned to his San Jose roots. And uh, he definitely seems to have them a bit energized. And not unlike the Red Bulls coming into the season, I think a lot of people had written them off. Um, and now they're sort of competing. So um, it's going to be interesting to see. 
I don't think this will necessarily end up as a draw. Um, I think it'll be, well, it's hard to say if it'll be high scoring because that depends on whether or not Wando might be in the match. Right. Um, but let's assume that he is, I'm going to say 3-2 for New York. For me, it's not New York that's had trouble scoring goals. The club has scored two goals in each of their last three matches. Um, I, I think upgrading from Miazga to Zubar, and I really do believe that that's an upgrade, folks, um, despite young Matt Miazga doing well. Um, I, I think that's going to play certainly a role. I think just being at home. The club has played one match at home, and that was on March 22nd, and that was three and a half weeks ago. So it's almost a month ago since they played at home. And I think uh, home cooking is going to be really good. I'm going to I'm going to call it a 2-1 win uh, for the Red Bulls. I think Bradley gets on the score sheet as um, and we, as, as well as Mike Grella. I think Mike Grella is growing on me like a fungus, and I think. Uh, I think you're going to see some some good stuff from him. So before we go to break and before we bring on uh, Luis Robles, I did want to mention the U.S. Open Cup draw is out for the early rounds. And while the Red Bulls uh, daddy version doesn't join play until the fourth round, the first and second rounds will have an impact on the New York Red Bulls 2 USL team. Uh, on May 13th, which is coming up in about a month, the Jersey Express and the New York Greek Americans will face off in the first round. Uh, New York Greek Americans, a storied amateur team uh, in New York for many, many decades, frankly. Jersey Express from PDL. And the winner of that match will play New York Red Bulls 2 uh, a week later in the second round on May 20th. The third round will be a combination of uh, uh, USL teams playing other USL teams and playing NASL teams. And then the Red Bulls join again in the fourth round on June 16th. I believe uh, if the Greek Americans win that first round match, then the second round match with Red Bulls 2 will be at Red Bull Arena. That's correct. It, if Jersey wins, they'll play in Newark at NJIT's field, uh, and that would be also another nice uh, opportunity to go out and support the Red Bulls too, who got smoked this weekend at home. Indeed. Did you see? Did, did you see that match at I, all? I unfortunately missed it, but uh, I certainly saw the scoreline. Three nothing to Wilmington, who apparently was stocked with uh, Man City Light players, which you know, power to them. Obviously, not every week that uh, that Jesse March can send his entire bench down to play for the Baby Bulls. So uh, again, it's not about the results for these guys. Although it'll be interesting to see how this team does in the U.S. Open Cup. Indeed, and it'll be interesting to see how deep they can advance because obviously, the Red Bulls too cannot play the Red Bulls unless they meet in the final. <laughs> that would be that would be bizarre. But yes. very metro. And highly unlikely. Yes. Um, hey, you know Mike Pecky? I do. Mike? I remember him. You remember that guy? I do. Yeah. So he's going he's gonna to be doing some work. Is he? Did you hear? Yeah. What's he going to so be doing? This weekend, Mike Pecky is going to be a color commentator, uh, comment, uh, commentator on the New York Cosmos broadcast on One World Sports with Shep. He and Shep are going to be in the booth out at Hofstra calling the Cosmos, playing the... I have no idea who the Cosmos are playing. I believe they're I'm, playing the Fort Lauderdale Strikers. And I think officially he's listed as analyst, which means he's the uh, the random third guy who interrupts the J.P. Della camera. Excellent. Uh, from time to time. Um, yeah, it's an interesting place for him to pop up. And uh, somebody I was reading online, somebody made the point that it's going to be an interesting dynamic because... Uh, 
My recollection from last year is that there wasn't a lot of uh, love between him and Gio, especially after the Open Cup game and with all the nonsense with Connor Lade. So uh, we'll see if that's water under the bridge. Well, these are both guys that have been essentially jettisoned by the Red Bulls over their days, so well, maybe that they'll have a lot to talk about. Perhaps, perhaps that they're no longer competing with each other, they can find some common ground. Maybe. We'll, maybe. We'll, it'll be an interesting game at Hofstra. Yes, that's Saturday night, I believe. So, Red Bulls fans, if you if you if you're missing your petkey, try do your best to try and find One World Sports, which I'm sure is buried in the ten thousand layer of your uh, your cable package or your satellite package. But if you uh, are curious for some NASL action uh, and just curious how Mike's doing and what what he has to say, go check it out. When we're back on Seeing Red, we're going to talk with the goalkeeper of the New York Red Bulls. That's Luis Robles. We'll be right back, folks. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. We're back at Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup at backheel.com. Mark Fishkin, Dan Dickinson here with you. And our guest tonight is Luis Robles. Luis has played keeper for the last 76 New York Red Bulls league and last nine playoff matches for the team going back to 2012. His 85 appearances for New York trails only two club legends, Tony Miola and Tim Howard. And he'll pass Howard in appearances over the summer, and he's only nine shutouts away from Miola's all-time club record. Luis Robles, welcome back to Seeing Red. Well, that is that is the introduction. Thank you very much. It's going to be hard to compete with that. Well, you know, we we like to throw the stats at you, my friend. <laughs> Luis, let's start here. What is the secret to your durability? I mean, you have an amazing appearance streak. I'm just kind of curious. How do you stay fit? What's your regiment like? And how do you uh, keep on keeping on every minute of every match for the last two and a half years for this club? Oh, man, that, that's hard to say because once you start talking about it, like, and there's an injury around the corner. Oh, man, I really, I really hope that's not the case, but... I feel really grateful for all of it. You know, I, I think if my math is right, 76 plus 9 carry the 1. All right, 85. So 85 straight games. That, that's incredible. Um, I knew I was I knew I was somewhere up there, but I try not to, to tabulate every single every single game. And uh, it, it's really been an incredible opportunity, not only to to be able to play that many professional games, to be able to do it in a row, but but to do it for this organization. Definitely. Uh, Louise, obviously a big result over the weekend. You know, you guys were down 2 nothing on the road at RFK and somehow managed to pull it back uh, to 2-2. Talk about that result. Well, I mean, first off, I'm really just proud of the guys and the way that they battled back. Uh, it's the beginning of the season, so you don't, you don't want to, to make too much of it because there's still a lot to go, but I think the one thing that's just really awesome about that game and, and the big takeaway is is the, the spirit of the locker room. It's something that started with Jesse, and it's gone through our leadership all the way down to the last player of this team. One of our biggest strengths is something that's not necessarily seen in the X and O's, but just the type of guys we have um, from the first man all the way to the last. And being down 2-0, there was this sense just within myself, that we weren't out of it. And I know that that comes from knowing the guys that are on this team. 
and once we were able to respond the way we did, I mean, Damian, congratulations to him scoring his first um, major league goal, goal in major league soccer. But that was the right reaction. And by, by being able to get that goal so quickly, in a sense, we put the game back on our terms. And we finished it out strong, and we were able to get the equalizer. And I mean, Lord Sam is probably the hottest player in MLS right now. But it, it goes back to each guy, that what they're doing, what we're trying to accomplish every single day in training, and then also in the locker room, having a group of guys that are all in there, committed to the cause. And it's really fun to be a part of this group. You know, you really get the sense that guys are, are committed and, and they're willing to do whatever it takes to help the team. And that, that, that transcends onto the field. And, and that's just the feeling I got. I, I'm able to identify it now. But when we're down 2-0 and being in a difficult environment, going into rivals, who quite frankly, if you watch, anyone who watched the game realized that, that they were trying to bring a certain physical aspect, hoping to disrupt um, just our style of play. And, and we found a way around it. We found a way to, to to not only compete in that game, but to not get sucked into that. And, and that's also something that we spoke about today, is how can we be a team that not only shows its toughness in our results, but has the sort of grit that no matter who we play and how they play us, we're not going to be whining to the ref. We're not going to be retaliating or getting caught up in emotion, but we're going to be mentally strong. We're going to be physically strong and we're going to have each other's back. And, and I feel like the guys in this locker room, the guys that are out there on the field, um, they have not only the capacity to do that, but, but the right attitudes to do that. And, and, and so I'm, I'm excited to be a part of this group and I look forward to the next 30 games and, and see what happens. That, that's fantastic, Luis. You know, the players we've spoken to this season uh, on the show, we've had Dax, we talked to Sasha earlier, and thank you for vouching for us for Sasha. We really appreciated that. He had just arrived, and he came on and said, no, Luis said you guys were cool. So I, like, we what's really the team red thing? I was like, oh, dude, it's only like the coolest thing since sliced bread. Oh, <laughs> you're, you're the best. Uh, so we appreciate it. But anyway, Luis and Sasha, obviously, or rather Dax and Sasha, had said, you know, one of... Uh, what's happening this year. Everybody knows their role uh, very detailed when they step on the field. What's the difference for you this season um, working with Jesse in particular in, in terms of uh, knowing your role? My role actually extends back to the end of last season. Um, some of the higher-ups within the club, they approached me and they were very thorough and presenting, hey, like we, we see you as a big part of our future. We see you as being one of the leaders of the team, and, and we really want you to be able to develop into that leader. And I understood there were certain insecurities within my own self. I understood there were certain um, weaknesses that I felt like I was trying to hide, and, and, and I told them that it is a vulnerable position to, to be able to stand up in front of people and, and really put yourself out there because there's a certain accountability that comes with it. But I felt like with them coming to me and saying that, it started to get the ball rolling. And then when Jesse came in, it was also one of the first things he says, hey, I recognize you as, as being a voice in the locker room, as being the type of guy that is looking out for other people. And so I appreciated one that, that he said that right off the bat because it instilled a certain bit of confidence that he also saw what some of those other guys were saying. But my role, the way it's changed is, and I try, I try to continue to do the two things that I remember I told you guys the very first time I spoke to you is 
is I, I want to be, I want to give it my all, whether I was the best player in training or the worst player in training, at least I could say I gave my full effort, but then also to try to be the best teammate possible. And really, this is just an extension of that. And sure, there are moments where I have to kind of caretake a little bit or, or make sure the young guys are doing the right thing. But one of the, one of the probably, this could be a setback later, is one of the easiest things into developing into the, the leadership role that I'm in right now is that I've got a great group of guys surrounding me, whether it is Dax, whether it's Sasha, or, or even Damien in the back, or a new guy like Ronald. There's, there's so many personalities right now that seem to mesh, that seem to supplement and complement one another, that it, is, it has helped me as a person to develop the certain leadership skills that I'm trying to bring forth onto the field. And I think at a certain point, all of us are trying to do that. I know that Sasha has, has more international experience than most players that are even on the national team. And yet you see he's, he's still finding his way and, and what sort of leader do I need to be today? What sort of player do I need to be today? And I feel like if you get enough guys in the room asking those questions and allowing the results to come forth in a selfless way, I think you're on to something. And so then you look, uh, the guy who's directing all of it, and you just see his work ethic and his selflessness and, and constantly preaching to us about doing the right thing, whether it's in training, whether it's in the locker room, whether it's in the community. And this message, sooner or later, it's going to sink in, and, and I think it has. And it's going to permeate, and it's, it's really going to spread into every corner of this organization. And, and I think it even goes beyond Jesse, you know, Mark DeGrom is thinking he's, he's doing it on the business side and Ali's doing it on the sporting side. And, you know, the, the organization, yeah, it's okay. You guys were there for the office. You guys saw all the mayhem and the message boards and the billboards and everything. Um, through all of that, what's happened and what people are starting to see now is, is a group formed and, they they did their best to preach this idea of doing the right thing and, and being all in, and slowly we're starting to see some of the fruit. And I'm I'm thinking that the harvest is still still down the road, but if we continue to plant those good seeds, I think it's going to be a great harvest, and it's going to be one that a lot of people have spent a lot of time fostering. But a lot of people are going to be proud of. Louise, you you touched on a lot of the the off season drama, and I know the town hall meeting is finally fading into the rearview mirror uh, for all of us. But, you know, given, and admittedly, there's only been one home match so far before you start this next stand, but do you sense any evolution or change in the fan attitudes with how the season's gone so far? I'm sorry, I don't, I don't think I quite understand the question. Did, given that the team has gone 2-0-2 and, and, you know, you guys are performing very well, do, does your memory of the town hall and and the way that people are reacting, have you seen a change in the way the fans are uh, treating the team? Well, let me tell you first, Sam, that that memory of Town Hall will never fade. Like, that, was just, <laughs> that was such a unique experience from every from every angle, uh, good and nice. bad. I mean, it, it was quite an experience. But you know, I, I think for the most part, a lot of that stuff is online. You know that I'm not on Twitter, I'm not on social media, I'm not checking the forums. The only thing that concerns me from a performance standpoint is what's going on at that training facility. 
And I know that these guys are hungry. They're not complacent. We continue to preach and remind each other that this is only four games. Like, this is a long season. We can't just rest and sit on a low of now because we've, we've accomplished nothing. You know, we haven't even accomplished the best start in Red Bull history or in, in, in this organization, this franchise's history. There's still so much that if we continue to stay the course and continue to buy into what is being done here that we can accomplish, and that excites us. That excites me personally as, as a player, as a competitor. And sure, there, we're not going to pretend like that didn't exist or it doesn't exist. We, we know that it still does. And because it's a long season, there will be a bad spell. There will be a bad stretch. We're not, we're not naive enough to think that we're going to go unbeaten for 34, though if we did, that would be really cool. But um, we know that there's going to be moments where that's going to come back. And we're going to have to continue to trust what we were doing during preseason. And we're going to have to continue to trust the process that we do have a lot of quality, but we have a lot of character. I think that character is, is what's going to allow us to see out those rough waters. And hopefully it's, it's through those moments of adversity, there's going to be this revelation of, of, of strength, of humility and, and quality. And, and I'm hoping that that's what carries us towards being contenders this season. Luis, when you talk about quality and you talk about the first four games, you obviously have to talk about Damian, who's emerged as a key player in front of you in the back line so far this year. Could you talk a little bit about what Damian brings to the team? Obviously, very important goal, his first in the league this past week. But if you could just share with uh, the listeners your thoughts on what Damian brings, because he, he didn't see really any action last year at all. Yeah, Damian's a player that came in to the organization to fill a need. And, I mean, I mean, that's just, I think from the business standpoint, that's what it was, was last year. We had some injuries. We were thin at center back. You know, Matt, he's very young in his development process, even now. So you didn't want to throw him in there too quickly. And, and, and in, a, in a sense, he was a stopgap. Stop he was a placeholder. But he's a good example of what this coaching staff has done. They've taken players and they've really instilled sort of confidence within them that at moments they're going to still make those mistakes and they're still going to be susceptible to making common errors. But instead of focusing on that, the, the coaching staff has really instilled a sort of confidence in Damien and other players that hey, it's okay to make mistakes, but it's, it's going to be about your, your reaction. And so Damien's not exclusive. Every single player on this team has made mistakes and every single player there could have been a moment where uh, a coach could have come and, and, and really taken their legs out from under them. I remember specifically in preseason, our last our last game, I mean, I just I couldn't even explain how bad I played in the first half. But at halftime, the coaches, they said some things that I think relayed a message throughout the locker room. Hey, like, you know, instead of taking this opportunity to, to, to take someone down, he used an opportunity to build them up. And they're doing that to every single player. And Damien is one of the best examples of that because, during, I mean, did he have an unbelievable preseason for him to be playing the way he did right now? No, I mean, I think his preseason was okay. But each and every training, you see that he is working hard and he wants to be a better player. And then alongside, there are guys that are teaching and instructing and, and helping him in every sense to educate him to be the best center back possible. 
And so we're starting to see a glimmer of that. And I, and I still think that they're his best games are to come. And so whether we're talking about Damian, whether we're talking about Matt, Crystal Ball, or anyone that's played on the defensive side, the coaches are asking a lot of us. They're not, they're asking a lot defensively to this high pressure system starting from the front all the way to the back. And they knew that there's going to be mistakes, but the way they've handled it, the way they've coached us, the way they've educated us is a huge reason why we're at where we're at. And it also helps that there's quality in the ball too. You know, Damian technically is very strong and he's making some passes that I think a lot of center backs in this league are afraid to make, but he's also making them because he trusts that we have his back. That regardless if he makes a mistake or if he pulls off a great ball, everyone's going to have his back. And I think that that goes with every single position. And if guys feel that way, then they're going to start to elevate the game. They're going to play beyond themselves. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing. Louise, before we let you go, uh, I think we might ask you this most every time you're on, but, uh, you know, there's always uh, a lot of talk, especially among Red Bulls fans, about whether or not you deserve a, a call-up to the national team. Have you been in contact with anybody from U.S. soccer? You're talking about the South Korean national team? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Whoever is any South Korea or Puerto Rico? I mean, other than that, I haven't heard anything about the national team. Uh, you know, my my perspective on it is still the same. Um, if I get called up to the national team because I'm playing amazing, but my team isn't playing great, it, it, it's a bit sour. Now, if I never get called up, but my team is doing really well, then sure, you know, I, I got my cap. I can, for the rest of my life, say that I've played at the international level and no one can take that away from me. But for me, the most important thing is that, that this organization, that this team is doing well. And if I'm a part of that, great. If I'm on the sideline helping someone, helping someone be better in that position, then great, that's fine. But there's just something special about being on a winning team. And there's something even more special about being on a championship team, and that's something that I want to be a part of. So if that ends up leading to something else, great. But I just I want to be very clear and, and make it clear, whether it's to the fans, to the podcast, to the team, to anyone, that my focus is on what this team is trying to do. And I hope, I, I hope to God that we end up pulling off everything that we're trying to do because, you know, there's a lot on the line. You know, we spoke about the off season, what went on in the off season, and, and everyone understands that there's a lot on the line. It's not just one or two jobs. There's a lot of people that have put a lot into this, and there's going to be a lot of risk. But, but my focus, and I think everyone across the board's focus is on, on helping this organization be not only the top organization, but the top team throughout the league. And, and I hope that we're successful in, our, in, in the process. Luis, we always like to, to start you off with a stat and end you off with a stat. Okay, great. Hit here, me with it. Here, here's your stat for tonight. Among New York keepers that have played more than 50 times for the club history, and there are five of them, including yourself, the lowest goals against with 1.3 belongs to Luis Robles, who wears number 31 for the New York Red Bulls. Luis, thank you as always. We know it's late. We really appreciate you uh, fitting us into your week, and we are wishing you all the best on Friday night and beyond. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. There's more Seeing Red after this. We'll be right back. 
You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Seeing Red, New York Soccer Roundup, Backheel, iTunes, Stitcher, Facebook, Twitter, SeeingRedNY.com. All these places is how we can connect to you and bring you into the Seeing Red family. And it really is a family, folks. This is why we're here. We're here to create the Red Bulls familia. Hey, I don't know if it was uh, if we said pers- uh, previously rather, uh, Juan Pablo Angel will be honored at the Galaxy match on April 26th. Sunday, April 26th. So that's kind of cool. Definitely cool. Definitely cool. The all-time leading goal scorer for this team. Pretty neat. And he played for the LA Galaxy too. Oh. And he and he played for the <laughs> Galaxy too. And he well, we can't say two. He played for the LA Galaxy as, as well. well. Yes. I don't think he played for LA Galaxy 2. Well, and he played he, for two of those. That, oh. <laughs> Juan Pablo Angel, Metro Red Bull legend on April 26th, pre-match uh, uh, and honor. And this is, what, this is what this season's all about, right? By the way, if you haven't read Brian Strauss's piece on Ollie Curtis's 300-page plan at SI Soccer, I encourage you to do it. Brian, a uh, friend of the show, actually got to touch the plan. He got to look at it and touch it. I don't believe it. I'm gonna no, have, I'm he gonna did. I'm going to have to go like, smell his hand when I see him next. I, I will knock yourself out. I'm going to. If you would like to be part of our third segment, there are two, two, two ways to do it. One is to write us an email at seeingredny at gmail.com. The other, give us a call. 973-602-9161. The number again... So you can write it down. It's on our website, 973-602-9161. If you are going to call and leave a message, I encourage you to keep your message to less than a minute. That way, everyone can get involved. We can have a nice debate over your comments. And here's Matt with our voicemail of the week. Hey, guys. Matt from Mars down here. Just wanted to uh, see what your opinions are about left midfield, which for me is still the team's biggest question mark. You've had the Zizo and Grella split most of the time there. Dan Richards has also played a bit. These players all have some positives, but for me, each also has some glaring weaknesses. If the club doesn't bring in someone from the outside, do you think one of them has the quality to win the job outright, or will Marsh continue the platoon all season? Thanks for taking the time to answer. So the midfield... Obviously, you've got this platoon system going on with Grella and Zizo. Should we call it? Should, we call it Zella? Should we call it Grizo? I like Grizo. You like Grizo? We'll it has been so. We have said that the midfield duo and the left side will be Grizo. So, what's your thought on Grizo? Uh, I'm not sold on either of them yet. Uh, there, there are there have been weeks where my Grella looks a little better. Um, and there have been weeks where Salzizo looks a lot better. Uh, I, I still want to see one of them make the position theirs. I think if there's anywhere that the team needs to reinforce the midfield, that's it. Um, but, I, you know, small sample size. Hard to tell. Very small sample size. Very small sample size. Uh, I, I like the fact that it's simply a change of pace, to be honest with you. I, I really enjoy the notion that you've got two guys that maybe bring a little bit a little bit of difference. Obviously, Grella has been able to find a scoring touch, even though he was, I mean, he was a hair offside. I know Simon Borg said it was clearly the right decision. That was really close in the second half. Really close. It was. 
But, um, you know, he can put the ball in the net, and he's proven that he can do that, and he can be dangerous. I, I feel like Zizo is a little more of a possession guy and a setup guy, and Grella can go to goal a little bit better. Yeah. But uh, but I, also, I, I wouldn't um, discount the notion that, that Matt throws out here that we certainly could use some help in uh, in the midseason transfer window at that position, because if neither of these guys, as you said, uh, Dan, are making it their own, maybe we need just a full-on upgrade. Perhaps. Here is uh, emails the rest of the way. Here is uh, a gentleman an email whose, frankly, email address does not include his name, nor does he sign his name to the email. So I'm just going to read it. We'll call him Hello. Guy. We'll call him we'll call him New Mexico man. Hello there from a displaced fan out west in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I'm a longtime listener, but this is the first time I've ever gotten around to writing an email. I just want to thank you guys for putting the show together. It's a great product. That that's not all he says. But thank you, guy. Anyway, on to my question: How do you think we're going to do this year in the Open Cup? When Marsh was first introduced, he gave kind of a twisted answer, saying the club would take it seriously, but that's hard to balance and all. Do you see us taking it more seriously than in years past? Do you see, do you see us starting bench players and leaving Red Bulls 2 with only academy players? Who do you think gets the start at the Red Bulls senior, uh, right back for the senior team, assuming Duvall's suspension from his red card last year game, uh, from last year's game carries over to this year, which I, I believe it should? Mm. I guess this turned into a lot of questions, but it real boils down to one. How do you see us managing the Open Cup this year, and any way too early predictions as to how far our teams might go? Now, just to lay it out for you, the Red Bulls will have, uh, if they want to win the Open Cup, one, two, three, four, they'll have five matches to play. Two in June, one in late July, one in early August, and then the final at the end of September. Uh, obviously, any team is going to have to work through. These are the traditional doldrums of summer, although the final is actually going to take place yeah, yeah, with about five matches to go. I mean, Jesse said at the, at the town hall that the, he wants his club to win every competition that uh, that it enters. And given his past with the Chicago Fire, he's a guy who... You know, Gaul's all out. That's a franchise that, that takes the competition very seriously. What, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, we've heard this, oh, I love the Open Cup. It's an important competition thing before. Um, no no disrespect to people who have said that in the past, but um, I, I'm not convinced that a player's ability to win it in their, their playing career necessarily means that they, they put any particular value on it as a coach. That said, um, you know, I think the team – have a little bit better of a rotation this year than they might have in years past. Uh, there will probably be less concern about various players uh, missing Open Cup games. You know, I, I think they can put together a strong squad for it. I, you know, I think part of the challenge with the Open Cup is I personally believe it's harder to win than MLS Cup. because Why, why is that? Well, because it's a single elimination, five round, and you don't have any, any guarantee of home field advantage for any of the matches. Right, so, right. you know, you get blitzed one game by a lower division side, and that's that, and you're out. And at least at least when you're playing for MLS Cup, you've got, you know, two legs all the way up until the final, and there's a chance you could host it, and all the rest of this. So um, I, I think they will be able to give it a reasonable try, but, you know, it, it's not like it's an automatic 
free cup win. Everybody, everybody seems to treat it like it should be a cup that the Red Bulls should have won by now. But <laughs> well, they, and MLS Cup and every other competition, they right? Have, CCL and all the rest of that yes, now too. Right. But you know, it it is something you have to win, and it does get tough towards the end. So we'll see. I I think they'll give it a good shot this year. I think it'll probably go a little better than last year, but who knows? I doubt the team will show up at an opponent with a Class A lineup and then not play well or be told to, you know, don't get hurt, take your foot off the gas. I think the amount of pressure that the club faced in 2014 is a very different kind of pressure than in 2015. The interesting thing will be if the, you know, for me, US, the, the, the USL uh, Red Bulls 2, for me, that has no bearing on anything. And, and when you, John Wallenek, who had been on the show a number of weeks ago, basically said, yeah, wins and losses have nothing to do with it. And we're just here to get players meaningful minutes and get them to learn the system. And so, you know, that squad in particular, uh, frankly, means absolutely nothing. But, but the number one squad does mean something. And you're talking about, again, if they get to the final, it'll be with five matches left in the regular season. And we all know how teams can catch up very quickly at the end. And now the Red Bulls in particular have done that you know, year after year after year at the end and rolled through the playoffs. So I think that this is a very long way of saying, who knows? It's a crapshoot. I believe Marsh will go for it. I think the fans should be excited that he's going to go for it. And um, then we'll go from there. We'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Here is uh, our last email of the night. It's kind of a light. Uh, we have two emails. I'm sorry. Here's, a, here's uh, Seth Hewling. Now, Seth Hewling is a longtime ESC member, and this is a very long email. This is, this is a novel, and Seth actually said, uh, could I call this on the voicemail line? It took me about five minutes to read. I'm going to go very quickly with this, but it's passionate, and it, was, it took a lot of time to write, and it deserves to be heard. Hello, Mark, Dan, and Dave. This season's shows have been great as always. Keep up the good work. This is a topic that I wish didn't have to be discussed. In an ideal world, a 20-year-old New York MLS franchise would be a pillar of excellence in American soccer and more than an afterthought for the foreign fan. But alas, we are Metro, a franchise whose name has been almost synonymous with disappointment since the league's inception. Yes, there have been highlights, the 03 Open Cup run, the 08 MLS Cup appearance, but many more bad days than good ones. Very few bright spots that the fan base could rally around and say, yes, this is my team. In 2006, when the team was rebranded, many people felt that they had an identifiable connection with a team that had its identity ripped away from them. Some did not make it to 2007. In 2010, we were gifted with our Dome of the Rock, the breathtaking Red Bull Arena. With our Mecca came a gluttony of new followers, ones whose hearts and minds were not blemished by the club's failings of the past. Then came year 18. It was 2013 that the Austrian overlords took a step in the direction of creating an identity, and that came in the form of appointing Mike Petke as head coach. This was the beginning of the Mike Petke era. It even has its own section on the club's Wikipedia page under the same name. The results were immediate. It was Mike Petke's Red Bulls who fought their way to the top of the table and destroyed Chicago 5-2. to Still brings a tear to my eye, says Seth, in a rout of the club's first piece of real hardware, the support of S.H.I.E.L.D. An identity was growing a history shared between the pre- and post-Red Bull Arena fans. This continued into year 19 and saw Petke's men storm their way to the conference final, busting ghosts left and right on their way. That night, in the parking lot of Gillette Stadium, ESC, Viking Army, and GSU members spoke together about how year 20 was going to be tough, 
with the imminent departures of Henri Cahill and much of the front office. But with Petke at the helm, we were all confident in the team's ability to fight and give us something to be proud of, which was Petke's uh, ultimate goal. Then came Ali Curtis. He was not a big name like Jerome de Montaigne or Andy Roxburgh, but he, like Petke, had MLS experience, which I thought was crucial to the overhaul that we all saw coming. What we didn't see coming was the unceremonious firing of the one thing we had rallied around that cold night in Foxborough. To say I was livid was an understatement. At the town hall meeting, I shouted down Curtis's business lingo. Answer the bleeping question. Don't even say his bleeping name. That was me editorializing there for the kids. (laughs) But ultimately, what can we do? The Red Bull out movement is truly justified, in my opinion, and I support the billboard effort, but I think the goals put forth by the group are a bit lofty and at this point seem unattainable. A justified, if not successful, protest during Game 1 of Year 20 by some of the pre-2010 supporters, and off we go on another season. Now we're four games in, and I hate to admit it, but all the promises made at the town hall meeting that I saw as seemingly hollow are slowly coming to fruition. Solid roster management, a good head coach, exciting play on the field, and an admirable position in the Eastern Conference. Curtis told me personally after the town hall meeting that he wanted, us, he wanted to win us over with hard work. That's something that has to be given time, and at that moment I felt there was not time to give. But now that some time has passed, and I emphasize some, it seems as if the team is moving in a good direction. And while I will never forgive Curtis for firing Petke, it's hard to argue with success. This could all turn around before the end of the month. Three straight losses at home could turn this cautious optimism into the bloodlust of the town hall meeting once again. But I'll say it again. It's hard to argue with success. And if Marsh's men can stay at the top of the table, it will be difficult not to credit Curtis. And we may make it to the end of the season in this fashion, then our identity can begin to develop once again. Or not, because this is Metro. That's Seth Hewling, and that, I I think, encapsulates the feeling of a segment of the fan base, I think, that was most undone with with Coach Becky's departure, and and if you recall uh, the questions that were asked of Curtis and Marsh at the the town hall meeting, it was, how are we going to move forward, and they said, we're going to go to work every day and try to make it better, and I think after... Four games, and yes, it's certainly easy to to say that four games may not be a big enough sample size. Uh, The team has surprised a lot of folks, and they're doing better. And uh, the steps that have been taken from what we've seen, incorporating the youth team, incorporating the USL team, uh, moving players back and forth, having everyone understand the, the style of play that's desired... It's, it is hard to argue with success, and that's what we've seen after a month uh, in this new regime. It, it's very hard to argue with success, and I, I empathize with people who are struggling with what to think about Ali Curtis after how the last four months have gone, because it's very hard to you know, look at that record and the way the team is playing and forget about the Petke dismissal and how abysmal that was handled in the you know, the inability to answer the question of the town hall. And similarly, when you start getting angry about the town hall, you think about how the team is playing. You know, it, it's it's a weird, weird range of emotions. And I think you just have to be able to separate the two um, in your mind. It's totally possible that Ali Curtis's plan is actually working and that there are good things coming from it. And, there, you know, we may see a downturn later, but for now they're riding high. 
um, and still acknowledge that he did the wrong thing and, you know, the way that they dismissed Petkey and tried to explain it to fans. I think that's that's the only way I've been able to unpack it in my head. I don't know about you, Mike. Yeah, I mean, I, I think everything we've heard from the players as well, and this is not a referendum on Mike Petkey's time with the team, which I think by any measure was a raging success from the results that we saw on the field. But we've seen players be very vocal, Dax McCarty on this very program, Luis Robles tonight, talk about what this year is about and the fact that they, the players feel that they have a clearer view of what they are supposed to do, and that's good and that's helping them play better. So I think you can, uh, again, we, we don't tell people how to feel on this show, but obviously I think you can still uh, be a big Mike Pecky fan and love what he brought to the team and also feel very confident and very happy, rather, about what we've seen out of Jesse Marsh's charges after four weeks and the player acquisitions that have been brought in and the way they've meshed together in a very short amount of time. You know, it should the team stagger through this three-game homestand and come out with only three points? I could understand that folks might not feel so good about that. They're all Western Conference opponents that are coming east, right? And as we know, traditionally, Western Conference teams don't do so well when they have to fly 3,000 miles to get here, or even Colorado who seemingly had not won a game in a month and then dropped four on what may have been the top team in March in the league. So these are not going to be gimme games, right? L.A., even without Donovan, is doing pretty well. And, well, they're, they're having a slow start for them, but they have, <laughs> they have stars and they're doing well. San Jose is going to come in feeling really good about themselves and their chances. And Colorado, I mean, who knows, right? They've got a BU uh, grad, uh, Dominic Baggi, who scored his first pro goal and is looking really nice. So New York comes out of here with seven or nine points before the end of April, and we're all going to be really jacked up. They, they falter at home. Very important pieces get hurt, and you're going to have to wonder. We still need to have um, backup for Bradley up top and Lloyd, because if those players go down, the, the quality will drop tremendously, right? And so um, we'll see what happens when we get to the summer transfer window. But so far, all is well, and you've got to feel good about it, and you've got to ride it. And if you're a long-term Metro fan, you're waiting, you're waiting right? You know it's there. You know that the Metro Gremlin, you know that Nikola Caracola is work is working away his way. He's can can they honor Caracola at the at, you know as one of these twenty year stars? I'm not so sure that that's a great idea. That would be incredible. Uh, that think, would be incredible. I think we should talk to Allie about that. Or, or I think Mark. <laughs> the only way that happens is if they have the shield locked up before the last home game, and then they'll bring him out and be like, "Sorry, I didn't mean any of this. It's okay." But nevertheless, listen, it's been a great seeing red. It's been a long seeing red. We thank you so much for listening. We really love weeks where we have a game to review and then a game to preview and then a great guest and then great emails. And uh, there are not going to be too many buys now, frankly, for the next whole bunch of weeks. So we're really happy about that. Uh, Please remember, uh, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Visit us uh, at backheel.com, all those places. Um, And thanks for listening. So for Dan Nickinson, for Luis Robles, I'm Mark Fishkin saying thank you so much for uh, listening to this episode of Seeing Red, and we'll be back next week, everyone. Good night. This has been Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com. Listen anytime on iTunes, Stitcher, and SeeingRedNY.com.